get to look at a passage in Acts chapter 10, which is a pivotal passage really for the whole history of the early church. It's definitely a pivotal passage in the book of Acts as we see Peter in many ways after this story start to sign off from what we see in this letter from Luke in Acts. And we start to see Paul move more into the forefront. In many ways, this is a changing of the guard. Peter passing the torch to Paul. Peter, uh, who had a primary witness to the Jews, we see Paul pick up at this point with a primary witness to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10 arguably uh, chronicles the most famous Gentile conversion in the history of the church. And Gentile, by the way, simply means, I mean, it's synonymous with Greek, but it simply means non-Jew. And unless you're Jewish here today, you are a Gentile. And so this is a significant story in the church at large. This is a significant story in your life specifically. God's vision was always for all nations, all tribes, every tongue, people, because Jesus is the Lord of all, to hear and to embrace and to embody the gospel. You've heard me say uh, before from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the paraphrase is, God is too big of a deal to simply be a God for Israel. Instead, God must be a light for the nations. And you see this manifest in the Old Testament in part, and then the beauty of the New Testament, and specifically in the book of Acts, you see this reality start to become more full. I heard just recently in a conversation with a couple people uh, who were hearing Ashley Capps, who started AC Entertainment and does a number of things, but particularly the Bonnaroo Festival, talk about the early days of Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo started in 2002, and it started with a handful of jam bands, as they say, highlighted and headlined by widespread panic in 2002. And so they were dreaming up what this might look like, how this might happen, is this going to work, is it going to be a big deal? They had some sort of vision, they had some sort of idea of what was going to happen, but the way in which they promoted this, in which they sold tickets was pretty simple. They spent zero dollars on advertising, and they just had this handful of jam bands, primarily widespread panic, send out notification to their fan base. They sold tickets only on the Bonnaroo website, and they sold 70,000 tickets in less than two weeks, just through essentially word of mouth. Well, not dissimilar to that, and in fact, in greater number, and definitely as great as a music festival like Bonnaroo is, with greater eternal long-lasting impact, what we see in the book of Acts, what we see in Acts chapter 10, is the gospel spreading essentially, relationally, by word of mouth. Stand with me, if you will, as we hear this story that we will catch in the middle. I will catch you up with the beginning of this story momentarily, but in the name of love, I thought we would not read the entire chapter of Acts chapter 10. Jordan says I'm pushing it with what I've got right here. So Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I am too a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, 
You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing that is from last week. We'll close there. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we pray this morning that you would show us your truth and that your truth would set us free. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Sorry about that. A little interjection of Saul's conversion there into the story, which is not totally irrelevant, but it seems like a little bit of a non sequitur there at the end of the text. Acts chapter 10, the movement of the gospel, specifically to the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius proclaims to us in an overarching, big idea sort of way this simply, the gospel breaks down barriers. What I want us to see from Acts chapter 10 this morning is the gospel breaks down barriers because God shows no partiality. The gospel breaks down barriers because we see in Acts chapter 10 that God indeed shows no partiality among His people. God does not have favorites. He is the Lord of all for the peace of all. 
He tears down the wall that existed between Jews and Gentiles, between men and women, between black and white, between every other barrier that is culturally constructed externally, every other barrier that exists in our mind, every other religious barrier that might exist in our world today. God is in the business of demolition. His goal is to demolish anything that creates division and hostility among anyone. It can't help but to make me think about, because it's part of my childhood being in the 80s, when Ronald Reagan infamously, while he's in Berlin, Germany, speaks to Mikhail Gorbachev and tells him, tear down this wall. Well, that's what Acts chapter 10 is in the business of doing. Acts chapter 10 is tearing down the wall that existed for ages between Jews and Gentiles. Tearing down the wall that existed between those perceived to be religious, particularly externally, and those who were perceived to be irreligious. Those who were perceived to be favorites who God had partiality to, here Peter in this story through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through these visions, is making clear, or it's being made clear to Peter, it's being made clear to Cornelius, it's being made clear to the Jews and the Gentiles that have gathered there among them, it's being made clear to the church at large that God and the gospel tears down all barriers and brings all people to Him. That's how big the gospel is. It's a light for the nations. All tribes, all tongues... All peoples are called to come and to taste freely of the good news of the gospel. Of course, this rubs against our natural inclination. Who we are as human beings is to show partiality. And this is not just us because of where we live or because of our skin color or because of the day and time we live in, human beings as a result of the fall, as a result of living in a broken, fallen world that, as I said earlier, is not the way it's supposed to be, are bent by default when we come into this world broken is to show favoritism, is to show partiality, is to look to congregate among people like us because it makes us feel better. It gives us a sense of identity because we're a fearful people. We're an insecure people. And out of our fear and out of our insecurity, we find comfort, ironically, in partiality and favoritism. We find comfort in making economic distinctions of identity with regard to pride. We find comfort in social distinctions, as it relates to our reputation, as it relates to those that we run with or those that we don't. We will create barriers and partiality and favoritism from things that are deep and for things that are shallow, even like fashion. It's almost as if, I mean, John Calvin said that we are idle factories, which is true. It's almost as if we are Partiality factories. It's amazing in our lives how creative we can be 
when it comes to making false lines of distinction and partiality and favoritism in order to help ourselves feel better. I mean, who doesn't want to be superior? Who doesn't want to find identity, particularly as it relates to not being like another person? And of course we do this with race. And of course we do this with ethnicity. And of course we do this because of the color of our skin. But the gospel tells us that it should not be so. We even do this religiously and theologically and denominationally. We love to make distinctions of superiority and partiality and favoritism. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Of course, some distinctions are inevitable. And in fact, the fact that we are diverse as a people, as a human race throughout all of history is a beautiful thing. After all, God loves diversity. All tribes, all people, all tongues. God celebrates this. He's not wanting us to mold into, in the new heavens and the new earth, for example, I don't think we'll have all the same skin color. I don't think we'll all be just alike. I think God loves diversity. He loves distinctions that glorify Him. He does not love distinctions that we make to make ourselves better than others, ethnically, racially, religiously, denominationally, socially, financially, economically. God doesn't love those things. In fact, the gospel breaks down those things in a holistic, overarching way. And specifically, in Acts chapter 10, we see an encouragement for a new perspective. Of course, specifically in Acts chapter 10, within the context of the first century, we're dealing with two primary distinctions. We're dealing with an ethnic distinction, wall and barrier, and we're dealing with a religious, which were almost synonymous, a religious distinction. But we can take those two distinctions and expand them more to proclaim that the gospel tears down any sense of partiality and favoritism that is out of accord with who God is and His character in the good news of the gospel. So Acts chapter 10, we get to peer into, in a unique way, a revelation in Peter's life. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we too will have a revelation like Peter did. That there would be a new found openness in our minds. Maybe for the first time, most likely not for the first time, most likely all of you or most of you would have a hard time arguing against the fact that you do show partiality and favoritism. I think that you would, almost to the person, if not to the person, be able to freely say, you know what, you're right, you got me. I show partiality, I show favoritism. I am insecure, I am fearful. I don't know all the anatomy of my brokenness, but that's true. And so our goal this morning would be to begin to open up more fully to the partiality and the favoritism that we show naturally and to embrace more fully of the, embra- uh, the, the fullness that the gospel provides for us. Speaking of openness, those of you that have been around me know that I love the late Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain was a former chef in New York, became famous through an op-ed that he wrote while he was working in a kitchen in New York and then went on to become very famous in the food and travel scene first through the Travel Channel in his show No Reservations and then through CNN in his show 
uh, entitled Parts Unknown. Well, in season three of Parts Unknown, and I've essentially watched every season of every show that Bourdain's ever done, ever done for both networks. And he goes all over crazy places in the world. And in fact, he even has a penchant to go to kind of places that a lot of people don't like to go, including in season three of Parts Unknown, Bourdain goes to Mississippi. Uh, now, I'm from Memphis, uh, which some people refer to as North Mississippi. I went to the University of Mississippi, which some people refer to as Ole Miss. So I know Mississippi uh, in many ways. And to watch Bourdain go to Mississippi was pretty fascinating. And this is what he said in his opening uh, kind of monologue that he, that he narrates. And th- this happens on most shows. He starts to give you some context about what he's visiting. And he had visited Mississippi before, and he had, let's just say, formulated some partial opinions. Opinions that evidence partiality and favoritism like against Mississippi. After all, he's an enlightened New Yorker, right? And then the second time he went back, as he began the show, he began it like this. It hadn't occurred to me to look further into Mississippi, But I've traveled the world since my first visit, and I've visited and I've learned to love many places that are not my own. Cultures and beliefs very different than the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Therefore, why can't I love Mississippi? It's a great question. Really, it's a question that Acts 10 is asking. It's a question that the gospel demands those who follow Christ to ask. Why can't we love blank? Peter specifically is being challenged. Why can he not love Gentiles for who they are as they are? Why can't he love Cornelius? Why can't he entertain and enter the house of and even have table fellowship with those who are not Jewish? This was a really big deal, and that's the question. Why can't we in our own lives love those who have different political views than we do? Those who have a different philosophy with regard to kids' schooling than we do? those who live in different places than we do, those who have different skin color than we do. Why can't we love? I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where the Spirit's working on in you. I do know it was working in Peter. Why can't Peter, like Anthony Bourdain, who was challenged to love Mississippi, why can't Peter love the Gentiles fully as God does? Well, let's unpack this question a little bit more as we look at the barriers that exist in this story, the barriers that exist between God and man, the barriers that exist between Jews and Gentiles, therefore between people and each other, and then lastly, this idea of the barrier that exists between us and ourselves. So there's a barrier that exists between God and man that is implicit in this story that is really manifested in Peter's sermon. And that's the first barrier that I want us to see that the gospel destroys ultimately, and I would say most importantly, the barrier that exists between God and man. The barrier that exists in this country historically between black and white is a significant barrier and wall that must be 
torn down that is being torn down, but it's not the most significant barrier that exists in this world. The most significant barrier that exists in this world is the barrier, the wall, the gap between God and man. And Peter, as he's invited to Cornelius' house, Cornelius has a vision, Peter has a vision. Cornelius' vision is, hey, go find this man, Peter. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Quick interjection, Peter is in the progress of growing. And this is why I love Peter. There's so many reasons I love Peter, but the main reason I love Peter is Peter is us. Peter's like one step forward, two steps back. Peter, you think he gets it, he doesn't get it. Peter proclaims Christ, and then Peter denies Christ. Peter's on, and then he's off. He's hot, and then he's cold. Does that sound familiar? And then finally, in Acts, we start to say, oh, Peter's progressing. Peter's bold. Peter's doing amazing. Peter's speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter's one Christ-centered sermon after another. And then here we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter is still in process. And at that, we just need to say amen. Like, we're in good company. We're all still in process. But we do see progression in Peter's life, even through a little nugget in the story where it says, go find Peter who stands at the house of a man named Simon who is a tanner. You know what a tanner is? A taxidermist. They deal with animal skins. That's not okay if you're Jewish. But Peter is progressing. I can remember in premarital counseling, uh, Emily and I were there together. You know, imagine that. Um, <laughs> And our counselor was talking about kind of, you know, our, basically our vision for each other, which you all have this, right, for another human being. And he said, here's the deal. Um, it obviously, and let's just use me because it's the most obvious example, Brent is in one place and he ought to be in another, just like metaphorically speaking, right? And you see where Brent is and you would, he's in A, point A, and you'd love to be You'd love for him to be at point B, and the chasm between A and B is great. Uh, But our counselor wisely said, don't focus so much on the gap between A and B. Focus on what direction you're facing. Which is good marital advice, side note. But it's also good life advice. And what we see that in Peter, there still is a gap between who Peter is and who God has called him to be. But here's the deal. Peter's facing the right direction. He's moving in a way of growth and progression when it comes to understanding the gospel. And we see this further evidence when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, and here he is. He's going to preach again. And I know I already referenced it, but i got to reference it again, and I can't go into great detail. I did preach a sermon on it like a month ago titled, A Christ-Centered Sermon. Let's be really clear. Peter had one message. You know what his message was? The gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus saves, that He's the Lord of all, and that He makes peace between man and God. I could go for a long time. I'll just simply say this. Um, That's my goal. That's the goal of this church. It's so easy for uh, people, us, humans, churches, in a well-meaning way, to get into peripherals. And to get into social issues, and to get into hyper-theological issues, and to get into school issues, and political issues, and this kind of issue, and that kind of issue, yet time and time again, what you see in the New Testament is, you know what these guys were into? The gospel. They were into the life, the death, 
and the resurrection of this guy named Jesus. And as one of my mentors said, that's what you're called to preach. I don't care if you think it's boring. I'm going to dare you to consistently be boring in preaching the gospel in season and out. Well, Peter does this yet again. The Holy Spirit prepares him to preach the gospel. This is kind of fun, and you can read in the story. Once again, it's a long story, so I'm having to paraphrase it, but you can go check me. The Holy Spirit also prepares Cornelius and those who gathered with him to hear the sermon. I do work each week as excellent as I can, as faithful as I can, to prepare a message that would primarily be represented of the gospel, that would be centered on Christ, that would be based on Scripture. I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but that's my true goal each and every week. You also have a responsibility. It's not only my call to preach the gospel. What we see in this story is it's your call for your hearts, aided by the Holy Spirit, to be prepared to hear the gospel. And boy, when I prepare and you prepare and the Holy Spirit shows up, you know what happens? Conversion, advancement, the kingdom going forth. What a great arrangement that we have together week in and week out. And that's what Peter and Cornelius had there as Peter is showing that the gospel breaks down barriers, primarily the barrier that exists between God and man. But Peter also, and I've already talked about this some, but let's delve into it a little bit more. The gospel not only breaks down the barriers between, or the barrier that exists between God and man, the the gospel breaks down the barrier that exists between one man and another. There are not these distinctions that are arbitrary, that are culturally defined when we see the gospel. We see here in this story that Peter is understanding more fully, oh, okay, there's no such thing as clean and unclean. Or if there is such thing between clean and unclean, I'm not the one that determines it. And we got to get this because in some ways, the longer you've been around the church, the more religious you are, I would put myself in this camp. I mean, it's my job, right? We start to assume that like the Trinity needs a fourth person named Brent. And my job, since, you know, the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father just kind of, I don't know, I guess inherently slacking, they need me to come in and to start to mandate some things for people and to determine things for people. And for me to say this is right and that's wrong, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether the Scriptures say it, does it? I mean, I'm convicted about this. And it's as if Peter has this awakening moment. Look, it's not you to decide, Peter, who's clean and unclean, who's common and who's not. Let me show you a vision. And he gives him this amazing vision where there's this sheet and there are these animals on it. And the text tells us that Peter is hungry. And Peter sees all these animals, and the Lord says, Peter, take and eat. And you know what Peter does? Same thing you and I do to God all the time. No! I don't know exactly what's behind the no. Like, no way! I can't believe it. That's crazy. Or maybe it's a more defiant no. Like, no! But clearly the Spirit is saying, yes. The distinctions that you've made are arbitrary. They're not my distinctions. They're your distinctions. 
And I'm here to tear down the wall that exists between Jews and Gentiles. I'm here to teach you that the Lord shows no partiality. That, he is the Lord, that Jesus is the Lord of all who brings peace to all. And Peter gets this revelation. He's starting to open up to it. Did you hear in the text? Even when he shows up at the home of this Roman centurion. Peter basically says, hey, I'm here just so you know. I just want you to know I'm in your house. I'm not supposed to be in your house. I've believed my whole life I'm not allowed to go in your house. But I'm learning now that I'm in your house that God shows no partiality. It's been revealed to me. You know what's been revealed to him? Who am I? Who do I think I am? I think that's what's being revealed to Peter. Peter at this moment is saying, wait a minute. Who in the world do I think I am? There's no difference between me and you. Just because of my ethnicity or my skin color or my particular preferences or where I send my kids to school. Who do I think I am? How arrogant can I be? And Peter gets this revelation that reminds me, and I've mentioned this before. I won't go into great detail because I've done it before, and you can go look it up. But I love Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor wrote in such an amazing, witty way, uh, bolstered by deep Christian conviction in uh, a very strange environment in the South, particularly racially. And she writes a story, a short story, simply entitled Revelation where she speaks about this old racist Christian woman, Mrs. Turpin, who makes a life out of judging other people. And she's doing so one day in a doctor's waiting room. And then one of the little girls that she's judging looks at her and reads her the right act. And she can't stand it. Who does she think she is? Who does she think I am? And she goes back home to her farm. This girl had called her an old warthog, by the way. And she goes back to her farm, and she's amongst warthogs. And then she can't get out of her mind. Am I like them? Am I one of these? Is this who I am? Is this me? And then O'Connor writes this. Then like a monumental statue coming to life, she bent her head slowly and gazed as if through the very heart of mystery down into the pig parlor and the hogs. A visionary light settled in her eyes. She saw the streak as a vast swinging bridge extended upward from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it, there were a vast horde of souls. They were tumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash clean for the first time in their lives. And bands of black folk in white robes, and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs. And bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself and her husband, had always had a little of everything and the God-given wit to use it right. That was her revelation. That was her vision. Peter has a vision very similarly. God wants Peter to know. God wants us to know. God wants the Gentiles to know this. The gospel is Jesus plus 
nothing. Because you see, here's the thing with Peter. Since, remember, he's facing the right direction. Staying at the home of a tanner. Peter's starting to see the light a little bit more. He is proclaiming the gospel on a regular basis. So it's not that Peter didn't get it at all. But there was one key ingredient that Peter was missing in Acts chapter 10, if we want to be technical about it. And it was this. Peter was like, yes... To be a Christian, you have to believe the gospel. You have to believe in the resurrected Christ and put your faith in him. And you have to be Jewish. You have to convert to Judaism. And that's where he got it wrong. He got the Jesus part right. He got the Jewish part wrong. He got the Jesus part right And he got the circumcision thing wrong. He didn't understand at that point that what God cares most deeply about is circumcision of the heart. So at this point, we have to ask this question, right? Like in our lives, inherently, we believe it's Jesus plus what? Jesus plus particular political view? Jesus plus particular school choice. Jesus plus particular skin color. Jesus plus those amazing quiet times that you have. Jesus plus those inner city ministry volunteering opportunities that you give your life to. Jesus plus what Acts chapter 10 wants us to know is the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Now when we have Jesus, it doesn't mean nothing. We can talk about that later. Read James. But to come to faith in Christ, the gospel is not good advice. You see, good advice says Jesus plus like a really consistent, faithful, quiet time. I mean, that, you know, the Bible talks tons about quiet times. Doesn't. Jesus plus this particular news station or blog. Jesus plus... Your kids behaving or acting like this and looking like that, and especially dressing in this kind of way. That's not good news. That's good advice. And I don't know about you, but I've had enough advice. I need news that's good, that's liberating. And that's what the gospel does, and that's what Peter is here to proclaim. And we have to see that we have resistance to this. And then the last thing we see in this text, and I think this is more implicit Um, It's not as explicit as those first two points. Clearly, we see in this text um, what Paul will go on to articulate more clearly, particularly in the books of Ephesians and Galatians, where he talks about there's neither Jew nor Greek, that Christ has uh, abolished the dividing wall of hostility that exists between man and God. I am evil, born in sin, right? There's a barrier that Christ has come to eliminate. That's clearly in this text. Peter proclaims the gospel in doing so. What's clearly in this text is the partiality that exists between Jews and Gentiles, which is meant to be expounded between the partiality that exists between any two different people groups. Right? And I've enumerated some. You can enumerate more. You hear what I'm saying. The gospel breaks these downs, and it's a progress. It's a process for us to make progress in that. But the last thing I want us to see, and we've seen this before, and I think it's amazing to see this, particularly when we sense this, this call to challenge and this call to ministry, this call to go and to be a part of the demolition mission of dividing walls and barriers that God has created. 
don't forget that there's also great benefit for you individually. Because you see, one of the walls that we live with every day is the wall that exists between us and ourselves. So you see, the gospel destroys the barrier between God and us. The gospel destroys the barrier between us and others. But the gospel also destroys the barrier between us and ourselves. I can't help but to think how liberating this moment must have been for Peter. Who had been moving forward, had been tasting more fully of the gospel, yet had been hanging on to this Jesus plus Jewishness. What do you think it felt like for Peter to understand for the first time more fully Jesus plus nothing? You know what it probably felt like? He probably started to taste what it was like to truly be himself. You see, these walls that we create out of fear and insecurity do nothing but create tension and misery, not only in other people's lives, but are in our own life. I love when Bono writes, potentially most famously of all of U2's songs, where the streets have no name. I want to run. I want to hide. I want to tear down the walls that hold me inside. I want to reach out and touch the flame where the streets have no name. I think Peter touched that. I want us to as well. Let's pray. Father, we...